And then a second scripture reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. The words of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. May God bless to our understanding the reading of his word. Well, our year-long focus in John went so well, and it was so well received by all of you. I'd like to announce the new sermon series that we're beginning this morning, a year-long focus in the book of Jude. One verse every two weeks. If you don't understand why that's funny, look up Jude in your Bibles, and maybe you'll get it, okay? Jude is 24 verses long. We're not going to spend a year on that. This is the way I want to begin today, with a prayer from the late Trappist monk, Thomas Merton, also a writer. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself and the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. If this prayer resonates with you, perhaps you're in a place in your life right now where you want to know God's will, God's plan for you in some situation in your life. You want to know what road to take. 
Should I apply to this school or this program? Should I marry this person? Should I change my major? Should, I, should we move our family to that city? Should we buy that new house? Should I retire? Should I sell my home? Should I answer the call, the invitation to be a part of that ministry, and should I serve in that way? And then when we make the choice, how do we know that that's the choice God wants us to make? How do we know this is God's will and I'm not just doing what I want? Or I'm just doing what the values of the culture lead me to do. Or I'm just acting based on some hurt in my past life. Past in my life. There are many, many choices we face. We want to know we're going the right way. Wouldn't it just be great if God would put a great big billboard on I-80 that says, Phil, here's my will for you. Yeah, or, or you open your inbox, email tomorrow, and there it is. Phil, email from God. Here's the three things you need to do right now in your life. But that's not the way God works. But doing what God wills is what any person who wants to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ and honor him wants to do. Doing what God wills is what any person who lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ and wants to honor him wants to do. Now, knowing God's will for our life isn't necessarily always easy. Yet, there are plenty of ways we can discover God's will for our lives and find his direction for the many decisions that we face. He loves us. He wants us to know what he wants. And this sermon series over the next few weeks is about that and helping us to do that. Sometimes we call the process of seeking God's will or discovering God's will discernment. Discernment is a word that means to perceive or to recognize or to figure out or to distinguish. It comes from a, a Latin word that means to sift apart, as in the sifting of wheat from chaff. In discernment, we're trying to sift for the good, wholesome wheat that God has for our lives and set it apart from the useless, lightweight chaff that isn't going to do us any good. We're trying to sift for God's path among the many circumstances that we face. We're trying to hear His voice amidst all the different voices that call to us. Discernment means, uh, sometimes it's, it's been called the place where prayer and action meet. We pray for God's will, and then when we receive that, and we think we know what he wants us to do, we act upon that. Luke Timothy Johnson's a New Testament scholar. He called discernment this. He said it's a habit of faith where we're in the right place to hear God's word, and we're in the right place to respond to that word in the particular circumstances of our lives. We hear God's word, we're in the right place, we get it, and we respond to that word. Now in Psalm 25, we hear David pray. And David prays for the Lord's leading. And he prays to the Lord to show me, to teach me, to guide me. And he prays that the Lord would show, teach, and guide him in your ways, your paths, 
your truth, which really is all one thing, it's knowing God's will. He's confident that God will do this because God's his Savior. David's salvation, all he needs in his life comes from God. And he believed that God cares enough to answer his prayer. And he's committed to the process of the Lord showing that, teaching him, guiding him. David says he will wait. He will hope in the Lord as long as it takes. You know, waiting is an important part of the path of discernment. Uh, God has things for us, but before he shows it, he may want to teach us some things along the way, make us wait, or he may want us to grow in perseverance or in prayer or in awareness of him. Waiting is important in the path of discernment. But discovery of God's will begins with prayer. That's the beginning part, asking him to show, to teach, to guide. We have to be in relationship with God. We have to know that he's our savior and uh, that God can do his will in our lives. And we have to be willing to wait and to hope because discovering God's will is kind of an, it's, it's kind of an art. It's a process. Now, the approach that most people use to discover God's will often goes something like this. We believe that God knows his will for us, but it's for us to find that out. And we might see two or three or more possible paths that are in front of us. We could follow, and we wonder, which one should I follow? We believe there's a possibility of a wrong choice. If we make the right choice, God will be happy with us, and it'll go well. But if we make the wrong choice, oh, what path will we go on? That could really mess us up. We'll miss God's will for our life forever. Now, isn't that how we often think? This approach, though, tends to make God, uh, discovering God's will, kind of a game of hide-and-seek. God's will is hidden. We have to go. We have to try to find it. We have to work for it. God's will is like buried treasure in this huge beach of sand, or it's like a needle in a haystack. How are we going to find it? One of the problems also with that approach is that it puts God way out there somewhere, apart from our lives and the daily circumstances of our lives, and we're here. God is out there. We're here. There's this huge chasm that we need to be able to close, and really we're left alone in this hide-and-seek game. It also makes God uncaring, it makes him unloving, and I think rather cruel. But God isn't uncaring or cruel, and he wants the best for us. And he's closer to us than our breath. So I want to suggest a different way maybe to look at how we discover God's will. In Matthew 6, Jesus said three times, did you hear it, did you read it? Do not worry. Three times, he says, do not worry about your life, about what you got to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink. So much, you know, of our life, just life in general, the anxiety that we have is ultimately linked, ultimately in one way or another, to material things, sometimes very subconsciously. But we feel we need to have a certain lifestyle. I need to have a certain comfort. I need to have a certain freedom. And so we worry about the future. We worry about the future. The thing with the future is that what might happen or could happen is something that doesn't exist yet. Am I right? The future doesn't exist yet. Yeah, a lot of things could happen or might happen, but it's not here. 
So to worry about the future is to live in something that's not even real yet. Another thing about worry is it, if you're like me, it can just make your imagination run wild and lead to uh, fear that just kind of freezes you. It denies that God is in control. It denies that God is gracious. Francois Fenelon said, worry quenches the work of grace within us. He said, the future belongs to God. He's in charge of all things. Never second guess him. Worry can also distract us. It takes away from the time and the energy that we can use for the things we can control in our lives. For example, instead of worrying about the job interview, why don't you prepare and do all you can to get ready for that job interview? Well, Jesus tries to assure us and put our hearts at rest about life by saying, your heavenly father, he knows all you need. Look it up. Tell me if he didn't say that there. By the way, he he didn't just say heavenly father or a heavenly father. He's your heavenly father. And he feeds and he clothes and he cares for us. He is a father who can be trusted because he loves us. He created us. He values us. And to worry and to live in constant anxiety is not to trust our father. And Jesus calls those people, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Jesus asks, is not life more important than? And he talks about food and clothing and and things like that. But it makes us ask ourselves, what is life? What is more important than life? What's, what's, what's life more important than? What's more important in your What's the most important thing in your life? What's the most important thing to you? You worrying about it? Paul writes this in Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can we trust that? The way to live according to Jesus is this. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and you know what? All these other things will be given to you as well. In other words, Jesus is trying to get us to relax And not be so preoccupied with getting so that we can respond to God's giving. There's the billboard right there, by the way, we're looking for. That's pointing us in the right direction. Jesus says people who don't know God and the way he works, they fuss over life. They fuss over these things. But he says, you know God. You know how he works. So steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find your everyday human concerns will be met. And so the first principle of discovering God's will is this. Don't aim at the dilemma or the choice. Aim at God. Strive for God's rule in our lives and what pleases Him and what is right before Him. Because as long as we are seeking Him who holds our future... Our future is secure. It will work out appropriately, whatever happens. Jesus said, and all these things will be added to you. The future is one of those things that will be added to us. Because seeking God's kingdom is God's will. When we come to the crossroads, we can be confident God's will will go with us wherever we decide. 
discernment is not an exact process. For one thing, think about this. Maybe God's will isn't just one path, but it's a variety of paths. I mean, maybe there are a number of doors that God puts before us all, uh, and they can all lead to his will. Certainly, they, they have different paths. They'll take us different ways. But we probably have tremendous freedom in discovering God's will. Who says there's just one person for you to marry? Who says there's just one career path? God gives us choices. And what we choose, if they're chosen with God in mind, according to his values and the life of God, and we're going to identify what those things are more in these sermons, they become God's will for us. You see, discovering God's will is not like trying to find a solution for a crossword puzzle where it has to fit exactly and there's only certain letters you can use. And it's just predetermined what that answer has to be. Think of it more like God gives us building blocks with those letters on them. And we have to see what can be done with them using our God-given intelligence, uh, human sensitivity, and, and love. We're free to put those blocks together however we wish. God gives us tons of room. He gives us tons of freedom with what we will do with them. There's not just one option. God's flexible. We discern by doing, by testing, by living. And as one person put it, when we do that, we learn to read the face of God. That's the way one person put it. I like that. We learn to read the face of God. Uh, and in order to read anyone's face, we need to live with that person. We need to spend time with them. Suppose, suppose I want to buy a gift for my good friend Dale Allward, who's sitting there. I want to buy a gift that really pleases him, that he's really going to like. And so I go out to the mall, and I shop the stores, and I see some really nice neckties. I get him a really great necktie. So I wrap it up and I bring it to Dale and I give it to him and I'm excited. He's got a beautiful new necktie. And you know, I see Dale week after week, month after month, and he never wears it. He doesn't wear a necktie at all. Why? What did I do wrong? Well, you know, I don't live with him. I mean, I don't really know that day-to-day stuff of his life. I'm just his pastor. But if I'd gone to his wife of many years, Adrian, who lives with him every day, who knows a lot more about him than I do. I mean, she can read him. If I'd gone to her and she would have said, Phil, you don't have a clue. You are so way off. Dale doesn't even like neckties. So why are you getting him a necktie? See, she can read his face. This is the point. If we live with and we encounter God every day, we will learn him. We will learn his face. We will learn his voice. We will learn his leading. Because the more personal experience we have of the Lord, the more we can gauge him. The less personal experience we have of the Lord, the more dependent we become on other people's experiences of him. In fact, I think the more we live by trust and by faith, the more we will have the tools and the ability to read God's face. We learn how God's works. We get the signals. We've seen these signals before. And that's how he often leads us, and we learn those things. You know, bird watchers, I'm told, I'm not a bird watcher, but they learn to distinguish how to read birds by certain signs. They see how large a bird is. They see uh, how a bird holds its tail as it flies. 
They see the markings on the wings, under the feathers. And they can identify the type of bird even from a distance. Well, Christians, Christians learn the marks of the Holy Spirit. And that happens by living intentionally with God. It happens by having a commitment to prayer, learning God's language by reading the Scriptures, worship the community with other Christians, and the basic things that foster our relationship with God. With those things, we learn to read the marks of the Holy Spirit. You know, God is not into playing games with us. Discovering God's will is not a game. He wants us to know, He wants us to follow His ways, and He will lead us to those places. The more we know Him, the more we know His ways. We spend time with Him. One of the things this sermon, these sermons I hope will bring out, and I think they will, is that the person who discovers God's will is the person who is seeking and fostering that relationship with God in their own lives. Our aim is not so much God's will as God Himself. That's our aim, God Himself. And a lot falls into place after that. Now, that doesn't mean that it's just really, really easy. Answers are easy. Total clarity just comes out of the sky with every decision we make. It doesn't work like that. But boy, it can sure be easier when our life is in line with the Lord. And as a matter of fact, we will find ourselves just being led without even asking into the right places and the paths that He has for us. There might be multiple ways we could go in every given situation, but the key might not be the choice. The more important things might be the the motivation and the intention of our heart, and maybe most important, the quality and the depth of our relationship with the Lord. Let's discover God's will together. Let's prepare our hearts as we get ready to come to communion where the Lord is ready to meet us and we take the body and the blood of Christ.